if you are in Christ, Christ uh, is on the throne, reigning. He is seated, and uh, he is sovereign. And then thirdly, concentration. That is where our focus should be. The fullness of life belongs really to the coming age. Uh, This life, we are pilgrims. We are passing through. We are really citizens uh, of a heavenly kingdom. And so our concentration and and where we know that the fullness of life belongs is not found here, but ultimately in the world to come. And then uh, with that consummation, believers will one day share in the very likeness of Christ that ends there. When he appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Pretty amazing statement. That's where it ends. And I hope to get through these four uh, transcendent qualities that we find in this text. Those of you who are familiar and underneath my preaching and teaching, uh, you would know that uh, I've kind of uh, evaded the verbs in this text. Um, I'm really kind of speaking to uh, parts of the qualities that it's defining, and the verbs really stem out of that. Uh, In this text, it would have been easy to just go with the verbs. Seek those things which are above. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. And that's where I'd like to end in application. So hopefully we get there, and I don't use all my time. We'll be able to spend a few moments in application at the end, concentrating on those verbs. Well, this is, we kind of introduced the idea today in the introduction. Our world, since the onset of the virus, has changed uh, as we have been advised to shelter in place. Uh, we have, for a short time, ultimately, as American citizens anyway, surrendered our constitutional liberties, ones that we possess as citizens, in order to combat a virus by limiting exposure ultimately to one another. I think we all look forward. Uh, to return to normal life and uh, as we had experienced before this global pandemic. To be frank, there is a concern of mine uh, that I've been hearing people say, kind of regularly actually, uh, that things will never be the same or we'll never go back to normal. Now, there are people who desire to control and uh, to control your constitutional liberties and would love for you to think such a thought that it can never go back, that it can never be the normal anymore. But I encourage you to resist saying that and even thinking along those lines. The control of fear is a very powerful motivation and and can uh, quickly become motivation for you to lay down the liberties that you have been given. Great sacrifice has been made by many lives, and they have been given so that we might have the freedoms that we do and enjoy as a nation, and we must not so easily surrender the idea of those rights uh, at this this current threat of fear. Now, I'm not advocating, I want you to know, I'm not advocating for any sort of conspiracy here, uh, that there are people wielding power, And all of this is part of this grand conspiracy. I'm not uh, suggesting that here, nor am I suggesting that that we have done something wrong by sheltering in place for a time. Okay? I have my opinions about the matter, but I'm leaving them out of what we're talking about here. I'm just referring um, 
from bringing that into the discussion. What I'm really wanting to do, my only point here, is that we must not surrender the thought that we have turned a corner as a nation and can never go back. I don't think that kind of thinking is appropriate. And so uh, that the freedoms that we have once enjoyed in the past are uh, that are ours constitutionally yet in the present are forever gone. We have for a short time in love for those who are vulnerable laid aside our liberties. That's what I see. Um, we, um, when the time is right, I think the most loving thing we can do as fellow Americans, as uh, we think of our liberties, is to take those liberties and stand for them again. And so, uh, that is for our children and for our grandchildren. So, as we, as we think about this, I'm not trying to urge you one way or another. I'm simply saying that uh, we must not surrender those liberties and be so quick to say that it will never be the same as it was. But rather, as soon as it is uh, within the parameters of our conscience and uh, in the safe environment of others, to be able to return to what we would call the normal liberties that we have once enjoyed. I say all this because as we look at today's text and um, we look at the encouragement we have as Christians to live in this new world order, uh, I think uh, this is really speaking to the freedoms and the liberties that we have in Christ, not being shackled by or bound by uh, the old way. So having been raised with Christ, um, we have a new life, a new focus, a new sovereign and a new hope. And we must never surrender these, uh, if you would, these uh, Christian teachings, but instead live with these in view every day. So in the text today, you find this. The, the chapter division is a little bit unfortunate. And as we come into chapter 3, if, if the verses that are here really in the context go directly with what was just before us. Uh, the only difference is uh, that here it's, it's speaking to how we uh, are connected to the resurrected Christ. The previous verses we're talking about connect, being connected to his death. So the whole matter of the Christian's relationship to Christ is in view. And before it was specifically in his death. And it was an argument given not for being taken captive by false teachers. The only change here is this focus from being on the negative, not being taken captive, not being held hostage, not putting ourselves under the bondage of the law. Uh, instead, turns to a positive, uh, what we should be motivated by. Don't be motivated by the fear and the power of false teachers who would hold you captive and steal your faith. But instead, be motivated by the risen Christ. Your life is bound up in his and so be motivated to live positively that way. So being uh, the change here to the positive is showing just how the Christians should order their life. The false teachers and their influence uh, are in the rearview mirror, if you would. They're, they're behind you now. And you should be moving forward. The question on the mind uh, of anyone, having now put those false teachers in the rearview mirror, having moved on, uh, that naturally would be, well, how should we direct our lives then? And this text really is the answer to that. The immediate answer 
uh, for those who you are in Christ is found in these verses that follow. And so the foundation is laid. And the reality is that you and I as believers are connected to Jesus Christ. And now the focus is the connection to his resurrected life and our future life with him. And so, uh, again, I mentioned at the beginning there are four transcendent qualities that I find in this text uh, for you and I to bear in mind that should motivate us and be the objective for how we live out our faith. The first uh, is our connection uh, to Christ's resurrection. You find that uh, right out of the gate in verse 1. It speaks here. It says, uh, since, really, you could translate that, since you have been raised with Christ. So Colossians 3 and verse 1 uh, speaks to this fact. And so the first transcendent quality is this connection. Your life as a believer is bound up in the life of Jesus Christ. As mentioned above, for the last few weeks, we observed the significance of the Christian's connection to Christ, specifically to his death. Uh, it's a theme that has great theological and great practical significance. Because we have made this point in the past, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this point here, uh, but we'll quickly move forward. But I want you to see it in the text as it moves forward. So the real difference is on the focus not to the death of Christ, but to the life of Jesus. The phrase that leads us off in chapter 3 and verse 1 could literally be translated, since you have been raised with Christ. It's in the emphatic position in the text, and as such, uh, any idea of a hypothetical, if you have been risen with Christ, it really vanquishes away. Uh, it's actually a literary device. If you're raised with Christ, um, you know, it is, is actually a literary device here, not suggesting hypothetical or maybe or possibly, but rather really cementing the audience to saying, since, because I have been raised with Christ assumed to be the case, and so the emphasis is on this new resurrected life. Now, the point here is that your connection to Jesus means that you already, if you would, are raised with Christ. Literally, you did rise, is what this text is saying. So, yes, there will be a future bodily resurrection, that's true, but right now, in God's eyes, those of you who have embraced Jesus Christ already are risen with Christ Jesus. That's what it's com communicating to us. So, so as you live, live with respect to your connection to Christ's resurrection and all of the hope that it brings. Even more, live with this new life and, if you would, this new world order in mind. This new heavenly perspective should dominate your desires, your affections, your thinking. And that's really what we find in this text. Since you're connected to Christ and His resurrection, seek those things which are above. Set your affection, set your mind on things that are above, not on things of the earth. So we'll come back uh, to, the, uh, to the interpretive seek those things which are above later at the end of the message. But for now, we're just observing uh, who we are as the children of God. And in this case, uh, we have this new life, this eternal life, 
because we have been raised with Christ. As such, we are to embrace the qualities of the new life uh, in every way possible. You're connected to Christ, and it is He who called you to live in light of that new reality. Think of verses in, in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 through 16. It says this, uh, These all, speaking of people of faith, These all died in faith, having re- have, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland, And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they could or would have returned or had the opportunity to return. But now they desired a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. You think of the patriarchs, and you think of that focus that they had. And it says in this text that they didn't receive the promise. They died in faith, waiting for that promise. Uh, Abraham lived in the promised land, the land of Cana, and yet it says that he died in faith, waiting for the promise, looking for a builder or for a city whose builder and maker was God. He died in faith, believing that that was yet to come. And so likewise, you and I are, are bound up in the resurrected life of Jesus Christ, and we long for and look for and seek for that coming new life. That's what really is the life principle in which we live. The second transcendent quality then is the idea of control or dominion. It says where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Christ is seated and he reigns as sovereign. The phrase where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God is descriptive of the new heavenly kingdom uh, to which you and I belong if we have embraced Jesus Christ. Uh, it is, has great significance and must not be quickly brushed aside. The implication of the seated sovereign who has accomplished all the work that was necessary for his citizens and is now governing with regal authority is significant. Um, the, this, is, this is really no afterthought of the text. It is conveying this message that you are connected to Christ and he is seated. And so our connection to Jesus who is seated and reigning is used to communicate several important truths uh, to the Christian. Uh, There are three that come to my mind almost immediately. Uh, Thought of this text and thought immediately. First of all, all work necessary for salvation is completed. When it speaks of Jesus, seated, it really is communicating this matter of the completion of your salvation. The fact that he is seated means his offering came to a completion, was offered before God as opposed to the daily or the yearly sacrifices of the old covenant that it demanded. Jesus finished all that was required for salvation and all who trust in him can rest in the sense that they are not working to be saved but rather can rest in his finished work, his completed work. So Hebrews 10 and verse 12, But this man, Jesus, after he had offered up one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. 
And again, in Hebrews 12 and verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. And so first thing that comes to my mind immediately is that the seated sovereign has done all that is necessary to accomplish that which was needed for my salvation and your salvation. We don't get saved by works, but rather by the very grace of God, by the accomplished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Secondly, all adversaries and all accusers are silenced. Not only is all work necessary for salvation complete, but all adversaries and accusers are uh, silenced. Um, But we still feel the pangs, right? You and I, who are here, still feel the pangs of our conscience. Um, We we still are accused uh, by that evil spirit, Satan, who is the accuser of the brethren, who would love to keep us from enjoying the peace that we have with God because of the work of Christ. But we need not fear. Uh, we, um, we have an advocate with the Father. First John chapter 3, verse 1. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins. So we're reminded in Romans chapter 8, which uh, Lord willing we'll look at on Wednesday, but Romans 8, who will bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. So you see this seated seated sovereign who silences all accusations, like this, if you would, this uh, this heavenly court where Satan would come in and would try to accuse you and I as believers before God, bringing all of our sin before God, accusing us, Jesus is sitting, seated there. He has paid the price. The ransom price is complete. He has died, and furthermore, is also risen, is at the right hand of God, and he intercedes for us. A beautiful picture here. And then thirdly, of this seated sovereign, all authority and power over life belongs to him. We're connected to Jesus at the right hand of God and we can rest because Jesus who is the captain of our salvation is reigning over every known or unknown power it's mentioned earlier in this uh, book of Colossians but we need not fear Uh, nothing can harm us nothing can subvert his power that's what you find as it's directing our thoughts here's this resurrected Lord seated and all authority and power is brought under him. We read it earlier in chapter 2, also in chapter 1. It speaks of the authority of Jesus. I was reminded of the verses in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, May the extended passage, verses 15 through 23, it says, Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, 
of his inheritance in the saints, and what of the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, for all princip- for far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age but in the age to come, and put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So we have of the Lord Jesus Christ, and He is seated. And that idea of Him being seated means salvation is finished, it's complete. All adversaries and accusers are silenced. They, they may be able to speak, but their, uh, their accusations fall upon deaf ears, and all authority uh, is underneath the control of the Lord Jesus, so you and I can rest in this finished work for salvation, but also in his work of governing and guiding our lives. No matter what happens, we can rest in his direction of our lives and his leading of our lives, even in the midst of all of the uncertainty that we may face today. This brings us to the, the third transcendent quality here, our concentration. The fullness of life belongs to the coming age. Verse 2 here in the text is the second imperative, set your mind on things above instead of, or not on, things of the earth. And verse 3 actually gives the reason for that command, for, or because, you die, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You see, because you died with Christ, now your true life, if you would, which surpasses all human existence in this temporal world, is hidden with, is concealed with, Christ in God. So what does that mean? What does that represent? The idea is not too hard to understand. I think the greatest gift to man uh, over all other of God's created aspects of his world uh, is this part that we call the image of God. It is our volition, our will, is a part of that. In pride, we hold tightly to that gift and have no desire to let it go. But when we come to Christ in full surrender, taking up the cross, self is dethroned as the king of our life. We surrender to the righteous rule of Jesus. Death comes to the old man who is fashioned after Adam and life to the new man who is created in Christ Jesus. You who are dead and following after the desires of your flesh, let that all go to come to Christ and in that have now allowed him to reign and rule in your life. So Jesus Christ uh, is, is now the Lord of your life where at one time you were self-sovereign, if you would. I know we quoted these verses last week, but I think they represent my thoughts and what this text is speaking about. Galatians 2, verses 18, uh, the end of verse 18 and through verse 20. For I, Paul writes, through the law died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. 
It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The word hidden is a present passive indicative of crypto. It, it means to hide, to, to remain concealed, or to be locked away like a treasure. Robertson's word pictures writes this when he connects that phrase to what's going on in the text. He says, no hellish burglar can break that combination. The connecting phrase uh, that says you are hidden with Christ in God is quite an amazing statement. And really, I don't know, if it grabbed my attention, maybe it did yours as well. The believer's connection to Christ means that all that we are is connected, is concealed, is hidden, is bound together, is forged in this unbreakable link that is to Jesus. It is so intimately sealed in that union that it no longer is discernible on where one ends and the other begins. The believer becomes so immersed, if you would, into the Christ life that their own life, for all intents and purposes, is indistinguishable. I think uh, we understand this when think of the idea of marriage. Um, for people who have been married for any length of time, that tends to happen, right? You begin to be so connected to each other that you finish each other's sentences, um, you know each other, other's thoughts, uh, and there's no longer, like, the individuality kind of slowly goes away. This happened yesterday with us. I, I didn't even think the thought. Um, Vicky said, I, um, she, she, um, let me see how, how, how it actually meant. She, she said, I knew that this is what you meant. And I thought, I didn't even think that until just before she said it. So she actually knew my thoughts before I thought them, but then said them after I thought them. So that's what I mean. So here, in this text, it's speaking about you and I as believers. And the more we immerse ourselves in Christ, the more our life is bound up in Him. You find this, this passage connecting us. Our life is, is literally um, all about Christ, no longer about self. And so the, the security uh, is another lesson that you can take away from the phrase. For in addition to our life being hidden with Christ, it is also in God. It is locked away like a hidden treasure so concealed that we need not ever be concerned about it. The language here is, is taken probably from treasure that's locked away, hidden, concealed, in a place of security. And the idea is that eternal life is an invaluable jewel or treasure which is laid up with Christ in heaven where God is. There it is, safely deposited. It has this security that it is with the Redeemer, and that He is in the presence of God, and that nothing can reach it or take it away. Uh, it is not left with us or entrusted to our keeping, for then it might be lost as we might lose any other valuable thing. Or it might be wrested away from us by someone else or defrauded by us. Instead, it is laid up far away, out of sight, with Christ in God couldn't help but thinking of the chorus of the 
hymns saying his robes were mine. I love the chorus. I cling to Christ, and I marvel at the cross. Jesus forsaken, God is strange to God. Bought by such love, my life is not my own. My praise, my all, shall be for Christ alone. I love that phrase. My life is not my own. I, 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 it's bound up with the Christ life. And this text really drives that point home. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. The fourth uh, transcendent quality is confirmation. Believers will one day share in his likeness. Verse 4 concludes, When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Here the appearing, the epiphany, Christ points us to the ultimate hope we have that will be fulfilled one day in the glorious future. I'll revisit this a little bit more next week because we're going to take this text and look at the verbs a little bit more and speak to what that looks like in application. But to this point, as we look at here, that believers will one day share in the likeness of Christ we are right now being conformed into the image of Christ, that it is appearing, as it says here in this text, we will be like him. We will appear with him in glory. So to that, let me just recite several verses. So hang with me here. There are several verses that came to my mind as I thought of this. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18 says, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to His glorious body according to the working by which he has uh, he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Uh, earlier in this book, Colossians 1 and verse 27, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, who calls you, he who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. And then finally, and this text really was the first one on my mind, but I wanted to finish with it. First John chapter three, verses one through three. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be, for we should, um, let me see, because, uh, let me see, therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself 
even as he is pure. Again, coming back to Colossians. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Set your affection, if you would, on things above, not on things of the earth. Uh, if you're risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Here in 1 John, the verse that I just read, we know that we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope, the hope of his appearing, the hope of our likeness to be with him, purifies himself, even as he is pure. So, in contrast to the previous text, when we were in chapter 2, uh, the false teachers were trying to bring people into bondage trying to uh, allure them to follow after the rules and, and regiments of men. And here in this text it's saying you're set free from that. You died in Christ Jesus and now you are raised with Him. And that connection to Christ's resurrection should be motivating you to live righteously. To live with the principles of the new world order or as you would uh, found in this text. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. Well, here in this text, seek those things which are above. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Next week, we'll develop those verbs just a little bit and uh, look at what they mean. Uh, but I hope that you'll take some time to apply it. What does it mean when you think of these qualities of the, uh, the coming kingdom, the new world, if you would, that is coming? How does that motivate you? How does that drive you to live Christ? We just finished looking at these qualities, but how do they shape our thinking and our living? Usually focus on the imperatives. Here, we focus on more of the descriptive phrases that speak about why those imperatives are necessary. Take some time uh, to think through those, to apply them to your life. And as we finish today uh, with a hymn, I trust that it will draw our attention to the right focus. John and Mike are going to come.